You are listening to a Bible Talk recorded at the 2018 Western Christadelphian Bible School at Manuka. This is the first class in a series given by Brother Matthew Blewett on the subject, Meditations in Revelation. This class is titled, A Meditation Approach. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Nice to be with you here from South Africa. Uh, I bring uh, the love of all of your brothers and sisters from there. Some of you have been, so you know who they are. Others will be coming, I'm sure, very soon. Uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, as you can see up on the board there, on the screen, we're going to be, or hopefully see, we're going to be uh, enjoying some meditations from Revelation. And um, if you had sort of known me uh, at least five or six years ago, you would have known that probably uh, Revelation was the last book on my list uh, to look at. Um, it, uh, it was a book, like I'm sure many of you, that uh, I got to read uh, once or twice a year in my readings and uh, enjoyed certain parts of it, but pretty much got pretty confused by the time I got to chapter 7 and dragons and beasts were flying all over the place and horses were coming in and the chronology didn't make sense. So if you'd said to me a few years back that, that, that I would be doing this, uh, I, I would have said impossible. Uh, there is a reason for that. And uh, it's quite surreal, actually, that I'm here telling you about this reason. And that is uh, that my um, good uncle, Uncle Harold, and I believe he was mentioned, actually, in the previous talk my wife was saying. So you're getting quite a lot of kudos here just before uh, you may not have realized. But uh, so um, as I was saying, uh, my Uncle Harold's uh, been also a, a large influence in my life spiritually uh, on the weightier matters of the law, primarily. Things like uh, faith, uh, justice, mercy that we were talking about in the previous session. And uh, he was, he'd come out to South Africa for some time, and he was uh, uh, sharing his wisdom. And uh, he was about to leave, and uh, I thought, well, you know, and I hate to say this to you, Uncle Harold, I wasn't sure whether I would see him again, you know, but look, he's still fit and, and healthy, so this is good. So I said to, you know, let me try and get one last piece of jewel of wisdom from him. So I said to him, look, you know, in all the things that you, you've been thinking about, have you got something else that you can share with me so that I can capture? So I had my pen ready and my book uh, for this like, final piece of wisdom. Now, if you know Harold Larson at all, I mean, he does always talk about revelation. Wah, 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 wah. So, you know, <laughs> I might have expected something like this, but it was like one of those situations when you don't get the answer you expected because his answer was, Yes, I have one last piece of wisdom, and that is get into Revelation. And I was like, oh, I don't even need to write that down. And, uh, you know, this book of, of dragons and beasts and fire and mass killings, you know, it really just wasn't something that I felt that excited about. But, you know, you know he said, look, that's what you need to do. So uh, it really irked me. You know, I didn't know what to do with this, and I kind of thought, you know, what I'll do is I'll just put it at the bottom of my list, I have the blessing of sometimes being able to do uh, Bible talks at, at, at back home and, and, and some Bible schools. So I've got a list of things that I want to do. So if I put it at the bottom, it'll be like number 42, and I'll probably be uh, like six foot under before I have to get to it. But, you know, it just kept going on my mind this, 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 that I should look at the book of Revelation in more detail. Uh, and as I've said before, you know, I just thought about this book that, that seems so complicated, this chronology, this uh, a lot of blood coming up to, to nostrils and things that didn't really appeal to me. But he said one thing that caught my attention, and it goes so beautifully with what we were talking about uh, in the first session with Bill, on the second session. And that is, he said, because it's a love letter from Jesus. And I think 
That is what I didn't think about. For me, that's not how I viewed the book of Revelation, as a love letter from Jesus. And I think that was the the kind of breakthrough moment for what I want to share with you, the approach that I've taken to Revelation. And that's all I really want to achieve uh, together with you is I know that there'll be some here, like my uncle, who are really very excited about Revelation. And for you guys, I really just want to make you even more excited and maybe give you some different perspectives. For those of you who are in my camp, they typically have read it, but like not too excited to sort of get too deeply into it. I really want to present an approach that has worked for me, and that's all I can do. It really has made an impact on me, made me talk more about it and get excited about it, and that's what we're going to do. And in this first session, I'm sorry if it's a bit more boring, uh, I'm going to run through what that approach is, what, what I've learned, how I've gone about doing it, and then the rest of the, of the time we're going to spend together, we're actually going to um, practice that approach, and I'm going to share some of the meditations and the spiritual lessons and insights that I've learned from this love letter and uh, hopefully through that, share the approach with you in more detail and also maybe share some of the lessons that come from this amazing uh, book that is no longer my 30th on the list under Hosea, which is also no longer 29th because I'm now seeing that it's a love letter as well. So there's love letters all over the place if you don't get any from your wives anymore uh, or your uh, husbands. So, so why should we get into the book of Revelation? And, you know, when you step back, and, and you get over any um, issues you may have with controversy. Uh, I see you had some quotes. It's interesting. I hope this isn't about every book. But I got some quotes about the book of Revelation as well as being the hardest and most difficult book. But I think Isaiah could trump it. But, you know, uh, you know uh, there's a lot of, of information. And we'll talk a bit more about it, about why it's such a difficult book. Why there's so much controversy, not just within our community, but, but throughout uh, Christian commentators. How are you meant to, to deal with this book? Um, but even if that's the case, if you zoom out and get out of that potential negativity and just think about why, why should we listen to Uncle Harold? Why should we want to get into the book of Revelation? And yes, some points that I think you may or may not have known. Um, I'm sure you probably did. The first is, it's actually true. It's a book. It's a letter from Jesus. A love letter from Jesus. Now, we know that because the opening verse says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. That, 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 that phrase, uh, which is translated there, I think this is the NIV, from Jesus Christ, is the genitive version of Jesus Christ. So it means belonging to Jesus Christ. I think the KJV says of Jesus Christ. And, and both are true. You can translate it either way. So if this is true, and I firmly believe it is, here we have the only book in the whole Bible that's actually given to us by Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we know that there's large parts of the Gospels where we get Jesus speaking in the first person and and incredible insight that we learn from him. But here we have what seems to be a book, a letter, that's written to us by Jesus. And I think if we view it like that, we would say, well, why would he want to share us with us a final letter if it isn't because he's got some amazing uh, inspiration some warnings, some encouragement that he wants to give to all of us as we live our journey towards the kingdom. Um, I think it's later on, Revelation 22, it confirms this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. So clearly a message from Jesus for you. Now, we, we rather romantically refer to it as a love letter because we all love to receive love letters. My darling wife gives me one at least every day. I have it ready for me on my pillow. And um, 
We are sarcastic from South Africa, so most of the things I'm saying need a big, big uh, dose of sarcasm. Um, Revelation 1 verse 5 says, uh, this is a part of the introduction still, so we've jumped from verse 1. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Well, I mean, if I'd wanted an intro about the love of God and what he's prepared to do. But here is the love of God demonstrated in Jesus. And he's sending us this book. He's sending us this letter because he loves us. So I think the description of Revelation, which you may not have heard before, as a love letter from Jesus is quite appropriate. And with that description in your mind, I think you start to say, hang on a moment. How would I read a love letter? How would I, how would I want to get more out of a love letter, especially from the most important man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is, I guess, one of the biggest reasons why we should pay some attention to this book. Some more reasons. Well, we know it is the last book of the Bible. It is the the 66th book of the revealed Word of God. The greatest communication ever given to humans, the Bible. I think we would all agree we had a Bible school to, 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 to study it and understand it. Here is the final book. And it kind of presents itself, not just that it's the final book in the canon of Scripture that uh, at some stage the early church fathers put together, but it has a sense in which it, it wants that position. There's a lot of uh, beginning and end statements in the book of Revelation where it says, you know, and often there are statements being made by God or the Lord Jesus Christ, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So there's a sense that this book is saying, this is the capstone. This is the end of the revelation of God. And, and so much as we'll see that, that is, because it's the end, is pulling on the beginning. We'll see that when we pull a string in Revelation, we can see it moving in Genesis. And all the way in between is just so much excitement for us to go and discover. So, so if it's true that it's the capstone of the revelation of God throughout the whole Bible that he's given to us, well, it's kind of like going to the theater or going to a movie. And you watch it, and you're really into the whole movie, and it's the last scene. And you think, ah, oh, no, forget it. Let's walk out. You don't do that. You wait to see the last scene, because often it's going to bring everything together. It's going to bring the ideas, or, or it's like reading a novel. Great novel. Get to the final chapter. Oh, it's just too much effort. Close the book, leave it. You wouldn't do that. And, and, and that's a challenge for all of us. This book deserves for us to say, if it's the final capstone, let's have a look at what it could be trying to say to each and every one of us. And being well taught in the word of God here, I'm sure you know this. I mean, we talk, I like to use that beautiful idea of that the Bible is full of cross-references, but the word cross-references sounds a bit technical, echoes. So we, we read our Bible and we're so excited because as we're reading, we're saying, I've heard that before. I've seen that symbol before. I've seen that image before. And all of the Bible does this, but there's arguably no book that draws upon the rest of the books as much as the book of Revelation. And uh, it's, it's quite incredible. You see, I spent a long time developing this, uh, this diagram here. It doesn't look too clear there, but I have a little gadget here. I'm hoping it's going to work. Let's just see. Uh, this is my gadget. Uh, let me do it there. How's that? Hey, that's impressive, all the way from Africa. So I can magnify things on my screen. So what we have here... This diagram here is showing all the books of the Bible. There you can see them on the circle. And it's showing how they all, every time there's a connection from one book to another book, it's showing those connections, creating like the, the kind of pattern and network effect of the Bible. Now, what you can do is you can see in that uh, diagram 
Over there is the book of, I hope that's Revelation. Revelation. Can you see what's coming out of Revelation? It's going loony, just like the book of Genesis. The two, the beginning and the end book. Incredible links to the rest of Scripture. So, so it's such an exciting book because having read the 65 books and having heard about the, 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 the lessons and the parables that we were talking about in the earlier talk and the metaphors and the similes, we're ready to have them all pulled together in many respects in the book of Revelation. So another reason for us to want to look at the, the book of Revelation. You've heard of this one. This is one of those ones that also used to irk me a bit because it was last on my list. Because here's this verse, which says, Blessed is he who reads and hears the words of this prophecy and keeps those things that are written in it, for the time is near. So it seems, and some would maybe argue that, oh, the reference there is to the whole Bible, and I'm sure it is as well. But it seems as if there's a special blessing that Jesus is saying is attached to reading this book. I want you to notice something here. It also says to keeping this book. I think there's a clue to the book of Revelation in that phrase, keeping the book, not just understanding it, not seeing the book as something that you've got to unlock some secret code, and then you can work out who the baddies are and, and make you sure you're the goodie. But there's something that says if you begin to read this book and understand it and try to understand it, there are going to be things that you can keep as a result. And I, and I want to try and share why I think that is true in the approach that I want to share with you during our time together. And then finally, I guess what was always there is the knowledge that even though there are some very complicated and some not so inspiring passages in the book of Revelation, it is also full of the most inspirational passages. I was so excited to see Bill put one of them up there at the end of his talk, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And look at these passages. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Beautiful, beautiful passages. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away every tear. We spoke about that. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. We could go on. You know, I've done, before I really got excited about Revelation, I used to love asking people about their favorites and asking people about their favorite Bible verse. You know how many people choose that verse? Wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's right up there with the top. And a lot of the verses people choose as inspirational verses come from the book of Revelation. But those same people will say, it's not a book I've really got into. Give me the first three chapters. I'll skip all the way to chapter 20 and then it gets exciting again. But what happens in between... Uh, let's leave for, for some PhD in history. So, again, if I can help to, to, to inspire some of you, then um, uh, I'd be really privileged. So that's some of the reasons why I think we should give it the attention that uh, perhaps we are going to do uh, this week. But why is it that we find it so difficult? Now, I, I was kind of uh, uh, knowing that I had to squish two talks into one in this session, and uh, Bill made it very easy for me because... He actually dealt with in Hosea. So I'm going to do this very quickly. Revelation, like Hosea, has, as you know, a language that is full of these things. And those are graphic images, pictures, symbols, similes, metaphors. And it's very interesting. You know, often when you, you, you hear expositions and interpretations of Revelation... It's typically will be presented to you in what I will, I think I'll refer to this a few times, I got accused of doing this last week, in a, in a very tick box kind of linear approach. So someone will come to you and say, okay, so that's what the, um, the mark of the beast is, and that is what um, 666 means, and that is what the woman means, and you just tick off 
the meaning of all the images and the metaphors and the symbols. But you know what? When I began to read the book of Revelation again, I thought to myself, you know, this book, yes, it's a book of prophecy, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but actually it's like a book of poetry. And the one thing that I learned when I, I learned poetry, I love poetry. I know a lot of you may not love poetry. The one thing you never do to a poet is say, I read your poem with all this beautiful metaphor and symbol, and I've worked it out. I can tell you exactly what your poem is trying to say. The whole point of poetry is to write something with meanings that can have different perspectives so that different people at different times can pick it up and see something in it. And here's the book of Revelation written in this kind of style. With this poetic style, kind of like we would pick up uh, Proverbs or Psalms. We wouldn't pick up Psalms and try and go through, you know, uh, 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 four or five Psalms, analytically working out every element of what the writer was speaking of. We would allow him to speak to us through his symbols and his metaphors. And I think there's a, there's a little clue in, in, a, in a way, not the only way, that we can then go about reading the book of Revelation. Almost like we're reading a poem. Right, a sense of using poetry, and, and, and I want to show how, how I've tried to do that. And of course, this idea of using poetry and symbols uh, is used by Jesus when he taught in parables. And uh, again, the book of Hosea is, is, is being used in a way as a living parable. So speaking in parables was something Jesus did. Um, it says, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. Now, I want us to stop there for a while, and I think we begin to understand what is Revelation really trying to reveal to us. And I think just like with the parables that Jesus taught, it's about the mysteries of, as he calls it, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's another phrase that, I, that I'd like to use throughout this series, and that's spiritual truths. They are spiritual principles that are not, they don't make sense often in the natural world. And, and Jesus is trying to share those, those, as it were, mysteries. They're only mysteries because from a human perspective, they don't necessarily make sense. But from God's perspective, they're love. And, and he's trying to share them with us. And because they are spiritual matters, he doesn't just use poetry and symbology to make it difficult. It's because these are multidimensional concepts. These are concepts that are meant to be understood from different perspectives. It's, it's, if we consider Revelation as, as the handiwork of God, it's like his sculpture that he's made. And he presents it to us in symbols because these spiritual truths need to be looked at from different perspectives as we go through life. And we'll, we'll see some examples of this. I mean, you, you don't go to the Louvre and, and see one of the incredible sculptures that Michelangelo has done. And, you know, you look at it from the front and say, oh, it's, it's, it's awesome. And not think to look at it from the side or go around and look at it from the back because there's so much depth and it's multidimensional. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ wanting to share his, his spiritual truths with us. And he chooses to use a parabolic symbol-based theme because that's the best way for him to reveal the incredible depth of the spiritual truths that we can learn from the book of Revelation. It's also difficult to read, not just because there's a symbol in this poetry that, that can sometimes put us off, because the chronology is, and we have to accept this, very difficult. You will see some people, and, and, and I'm not trying to actually even give you an interpretation. If you came to get one, you'll be highly disappointed. But you'll see that often when, when, when you need to try and interpret the whole book, 
People will try and draw up some sort of chronology, and I'm sure it is possible to do, but it's very difficult to do. Why? Because as you can see from this diagram over here, we keep getting brought back to the kingdom. So, so although it seems to be this message that's bringing you to the point of the time in which the lamb is victorious, what happens is we would probably write that and get all the way to chapter 22 and deliver the final message and the chronologies there. But we, we start with it in Revelation chapter 4. We're already at the end. The lamb is there and, and the saints are there and everybody's happy. And, and then we, we, we start moving and, and, and he's there again in chapter 5 and then in chapter 7. And we keep going back to the end. So from a chronological point of view, it can also be quite difficult to, to read this book. So the style uh, that is used is often referred to as apocalyptic style. So I, I promise you not too much Greek here, but apocalyptic, we call it the apocalypse. Now, unfortunately, that word has become to mean something totally different in, in, uh, in our English. So, for example, you've had some wildfires in, in Aloal, is it? Aloal or California, I think you have that every year. But anyway, you've had some wildfires in California. And when someone sees the devastation of an incredible fire, they'll often say it looks like the apocalypse. It's a, apocalyptic scenes in California. But that's just because they associated the apocalypse with lots of fire and burning. But really that word apocalypse actually means to reveal. Jesus, in sending you this love letter, is not trying to hide things from you. He's not trying to hold back things from you so that you've got to go and work out some magical code and then crack it and then work out how you're going to get into the kingdom through cracking the code. He's actually giving you these symbols, giving you this beautiful thing to uncover, to reveal. All right? And, 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 and the clue to how you reveal it is to take these symbols and to take these metaphors and unlock them with the Spirit. And, and we're told, this is a beautiful passage in, in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13. These things, says Paul, we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So there's a, there, there, there is almost the key, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you spiritual things, these the spiritual truths in my final letter. And to help you to understand them, you need to take other spiritual things to understand these spiritual things. And of course, that means when we read about a lamb in the book of Revelation, or when we read about a name in the book of Revelation, to amplify what might be meant by that idea, that theme, that metaphor, we've got to go back to the other parts of the, other, the Bible, the other parts of the Spirit, to unlock what we're reading. And that's really uh, in essence, what we should be doing, letting, as we sometimes say, the Bible interpret itself. The Spirit allowing the Spirit to interpret itself. And Jesus says, if you do that, again, talking about his parables, blessed are they who see and your ears that hear, for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What a privilege. Maybe this is why it says we can be very blessed if we read the book of Revelation, because there are things that Jesus is revealing in their principles that it seems that Jesus is suggesting that, that the men of old, some of the patriarchs, would have done anything to understand, would have really wanted to see themselves. And we, we have the opportunity to read about them and try to understand them, and most important, uh, put them into practice in our lives. So here's a question. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that these are the words of the prophecy of the things which must shortly come to pass. So some say, well, 
Matthew, you're talking about the book of Revelation as if there's these spiritual principles and truths, and we'll talk a bit more about exactly what I mean by that. But isn't it really just a book of prediction? I mean, that's what it is. It's a prophecy. So I want to stop for a moment and just think about that for a moment. So the text you probably would have to be really uh, superior in your optics to read says at the top there, Greek. I said you wouldn't get into much Greek. I was lying, obviously. Uh, the Greek word for prophecy in the New Testament is prophemi. P-R-O, we know what pro is, and femi. And the only reason that's important is because the way in which prophecy is used in the New Testament, and to a certain extent in the Old Testament, is a bit different to the way we think of prophecy. So we think of prophecy, prediction. Some prediction is being made. But in fact, the word means literally pro, forth, to go forth, femi, to speak. To speak forth. So when people had the gift of prophecy, for example, it didn't necessarily mean that they would stand up and say, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, John's going to win the golf and, uh, 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 you know, we're going to have fish and chips tonight to eat. Uh, I don't want to suggest anything for the uh, kitchen. But um, it wasn't that kind of prediction. It was really that they could just speak God's words. So they were prophets. The gift of prophecy meant that they would stand up and what they said was God's words and it was coming from the Lord, speaking forth. The idea was this, that the words that they spoke often might have some predictive part of them, but in their essence, they were a principle. They represented a principle coming from God, something that that, that you could grab onto and make use of. And this is a very important principle. I want to try and illustrate it through just one prophecy you, you probably know well. And that's a prophecy that was given in Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So we say, well, there's a prophecy. So what, what, what happens in this easy prophecy? Well, first of all, we notice that that prophecy actually gets fulfilled a number of times. So the predictive element isn't just once, it happens a few times. So, for example, um, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Well, at least the first fulfillment of that would have been? Before, history, exodus, absolutely. He took the people, the children of Israel, from the bondage of Egypt and took them out to the promised land. And then the next fulfillment, there were many others, but the next big one that this is then quoted as a fulfillment of later on is Jesus. Jesus taken into, in the Gospel of Matthew, taken into Egypt because Herod was doing uh, nasty things and then comes back. All right. But hang on a moment. It's going to happen again. We are all going to hopefully be caught out of the world and brought to, to the kingdom, and hopefully that's going to be in, in, in the promised land. But actually, what is happening here? This prophecy is actually first a principle. So when we look at that prophecy, it's teaching a principle. What is the principle? The principle is all of us are in bondage in Egypt. We're all slaves to Egypt, and we have to be called out. To be a son of God means that we're called out from the bondage of Egypt and become sons and daughters of God. That's a principle. And no wonder it's being fulfilled because God's principles, because they are true, will be fulfilled. In the big examples we've given, and every time we see someone get baptized or commit to God, we see that prophecy being fulfilled. So I hope you can see that That if you take a meditational approach, as I'm going to describe in a few moments, the book of Revelation, and you look for the principles, that is not to say that the predictions may or may not be happening all over the place. The principles are also, if not as important, maybe even more important, because they describe the spiritual truth 
that Jesus is sharing. And there are things that we can make use of today and we can keep them uh, so that we can be a part of the wonderful kingdom he has planned for all of us. Though much, this is Vaughan's expository dictionary, though much of the Old Testament prophecy was purely predictive, prophecy is not necessarily nor even primarily foretelling. It is the declaration of that which cannot be known by natural means. Beautifully put. It is the foretelling of the will of God, whether with reference to the past, the present, or the future. So I think that encapsulates this idea. That which can't naturally be known. It's the mind of the Spirit capturing a principle uh, that we can make good use of in our everyday living. So, let us move on swiftly. There are a number of interpretation methods of the book of Revelation. And you, hopefully, or may not, you'll be familiar with at least one or two of these methods. I'm going to go through this very quickly. So, these are the four major categories by which people interpret the book of Revelation. So the first uh, one uh, was quite popular, actually, by some of the writings of the, the, the early Christian fathers, if you want to term them that. And it's known as the preterist interpretation. And that is looking at the book primarily from a predictive perspective and seeing most of the prophecies as predictive prophecies fulfilled um, in the 40 years after the writing of the book. So up to AD 70 and a bit after AD 70. So that is the preterist view, and with a little bit right at the end, potentially, uh, in, in, in terms of the fulfillment of Revelation 21 and 22. Then there is the historic category. And the historic category, which includes, um, I guess, the, the, the most traditional Christadelphian-type interpretation, which is the idea of continuous historic, fits into that category, which says that the book of Revelation is primarily a predictive book, and most of those symbols are prophecies that have been fulfilled throughout the course of history. And most of it's been fulfilled. And there's a little bit at the end that we're getting towards that still has to be fulfilled. So continuously historic. And there's a whole bunch of other historic type interpretations. Um, I'm going to jump the idealism and go to futurism. Futurism is quite popular at the moment. You'll find a lot of uh, uh, interpretive frameworks around futurism. Uh, uh, and, and a lot of uh, modern commentators uh, uh, take this view. In this view, the, the interpretation of most of Revelation is predictive for a period of about seven years that is likely to still come. So it's a future event that's going to roll out. And in fact, the predictive uh, uh, sort of commentators like to view a lot of what we would call symbol and simile and metaphor as actually going to happen in reality. So because it's impossible to have seen it happen in the past, they see it happening in the future, and a lot of it's going to actually happen. We're going to see some of the stuff actually happening in, in reality. And then I skip the one uh, viewpoint called idealism. The idealistic view says the book of Revelation is, in fact, a book full of principles. When we read it, we should be looking for the principles. Um, the approach, and I'm going to tell you what the difference between, in my view, an approach and an interpretation is in a moment that I'm suggesting, probably ends up when it ends up as an interpretation, mostly in the idealist category. However, pure idealist commentators believe there's no predictive element to the book of Revelation. I, I don't quite buy that. As I, I showed you in that model earlier, I think there's a very important role to extract the principles. But by their very nature, those principles are going to have massive performance as we see the course of human history run its time. So in a sense, if you had to force where I'm going into a category, I would have to sit somewhere between idealism and, uh, I know this is like being a postmodernist, uh, and all the others 
together. So, so that's where, 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 where we're going. Now, what I do want to emphasize um, in whatever time we have is what I mean by a meditation approach. So really, what freed me to be able to listen to the advice of my sage uncle was actually freeing myself from an interpretation framework. I said to myself, you know what? If this is a love letter, then what I need to do is just be prepared to pick up one or two verses a day from this book and to read it like a love letter. And you know, I'll be honest, I haven't received many love letters recently, but I did receive some when I was going out with my, my, my and I'm sure you received some, right? Some love letters. And when you get a love letter, you, you hang on every word, don't you? What, how did she address me? You know, what words does she use to describe how she's feeling? Is she really missing me or just not missing me that much? We hang on the detail. And so for me, it was, you know what? If I could pick up the book of Revelation and just hang on the detail and and hang on the words and and focus on it and and not be bound by some framework that says, well, because I'm in chapter 9 and a verse 7 and I've already worked out previously that this symbol means that and... Now my mind is more caught up in a framework, but just let those words speak to me through focus and through echoes, and I'll I'll share some of the techniques. Then perhaps I can get some amazing spiritual insight that I can take with me. And that's really, in essence, why I say what I'm presenting is an approach. It's a way that I've got to really enjoy the book of Revelation. It doesn't invalidate other approaches. It certainly doesn't lead to a interpretation that I can share with you that will then compete against other interpretations. So if you come to me with your interpretations, I'd love to hear them, uh, and it would be a part of, of us having a great discussion on the book of Revelation. But what I'm sharing with you is really just an approach. So I've already said it involves hanging on every word. You know, because Revelation is so full of complex symbols, if you try and take a chapter or even eight, nine, ten verses, you just get lost. Because there are all these symbols. So when you can take a smaller piece of it, like you would do with taking one or two proverbs for the day, you'll find that actually it's not quite as intimidating. And if you free yourself from the chronology discussion, and you free yourself from some framework that says you have to look at it in the past or in the future, or it's got to be some prediction, and you're looking outward to see a whole bunch of things actually become simpler. In fact, when I first uh, started talking about this approach, uh, which uh, you know people uh, misinterpreted, I said, this is the free approach. They said, oh, good, we don't have to pay any money for it. I said, yeah, well, that too. But what I mean is it's free from, from a framework and, 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 and from, from previous assumptions you may have made impacting what you can get out of the passage that you're looking at this morning or this evening or whenever you choose to, to meditate. Uh, it, it, it helps us not to miss the wood for the trees, uh, and it helps us to take less with more time. So that's what we want to try and do. Now, we're going to be going at 9 o'clock for meditation with, uh, with John, right? So what do I mean by meditation? Uh, in fact, I, I, I practice, uh, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot, but I practice uh, a lot of the meditation that John's referring to. In fact, as one of the ways that leads into this meditation, uh, I'm a great believer in breathing meditation, trying to clear our very busy minds. We have this way of thinking. We can go from one activity into the other, and there doesn't need to be a transition. Um, you'll find that at this Bible week, First day, second day, you're getting into it. Suddenly, third or fourth day, it just feels that you are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's, that's transition. So meditation is a great technique for transition. The kind of meditation I'm referring to is, I guess, the way it's used in the Bible a lot. 
Um, I think the Bible is also referring to just that moment of saying silent, that moment, and I love the idea, I think John just said in his message, that actually the, the gap between meditation and prayer is, I don't know that there's a gap, they just merge into each other. And, and so um, I'm talking about deep contemplation of a small portion of the Word of God that is meant to bring you to a point of worship and prayer. You know, it's something that I learned only very recently, and that is that no doubt every single passage of Scripture, and we'll see this in a, a little, uh, having said it's a free approach, I'm going to give you a bunch of steps to follow. How's that for, for a, a paradox? But anyway, I, I have got that side of my character as well, but we'll just share it with you. Um, the point is everything should bring us to a point of application, in my view. If we, if we read Scripture and we don't get to the you are the man point, then it's like David listening to the great parable that Nathan was saying, and uh, eventually he realizes it's about himself. So that's important. But more than that, or as important as that, I should rather say, it should bring us to a new appreciation or to, not necessarily a new, but a real consciousness of our presence, of, our, of God's presence around us, and the Lord Jesus Christ's presence around us. And that's actually what the word worship is all about. Our worship in his presence. So I hope that as you contemplate some of the passages from the book of Revelation, that's where we'll get to. We'll get to a point of worship. Um, and that's meditation. So I did say that through the course of me trying to follow the sage advice and, and making this one commitment, this is what I can do, uh, my sage uncle. I can't pick up this book of Revelation and start going through other expositions. It's just not going to work. So what I can do is I'm going to take just two or three verses every morning for 15 minutes, and I'm going to sit with them, and I'm going to try and hear the message Jesus has for me this morning. And that's all I've done. Now, in that process, I developed a little bit of a, of a process. I'm just going to share with you. You, you. you will come up with your own process, and it's, it's pretty, makes a lot of sense, and, and, and you probably do this kind of thing anyway. The first is this, it's focus. And interestingly, when you look up the word meditation, which appears a number of times in the Old Testament, you'll find that when that word appears, there's a lot of these ideas that come together with the word. So, for example, in Psalm 119, the writer says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. So what he's suggesting is when he meditates, it's helping him to fix his eyes on God's ways. There's this idea of real focus. We don't get a lot of time to do that nowadays, don't we? You know, I, I practice this with, uh, with the youth. I say we're going we're gonna to meditate on one concept for three minutes. It's absolutely simple. Easy to do that. And, of course, you, you know, get everybody quiet. You give them the concept, and you give them three minutes. Afterwards, you say, how many of you stuck with it for three minutes? First of all, the three minutes take so long. And, as John also mentioned, our minds begin to wander. So it's not easy for us to do this because we live in a world where we're just so used to interaction. People are interacting with you right now. They're sending you messages right now. Emails are coming through for you. Yes, you can look at them when we finish. And WhatsApp messages and text messages. It's a very interactive world. So focus is at the essence of it. So I find a quiet place. Uh, I do this in the morning, by the way. Some people say, how do you get that right? Well, we, we have readings with our kids in the morning, and we follow a little bit of a discipline. And then uh, uh, my good wife has trained them to go and make their own lunch for school. Otherwise, they don't eat. And in that time, uh, I escape. And, and practice uh, a physical silence and mental silence and actually take my few verses from the book of Revelation and, and, and focus on the passage that I've chosen. So that's the first thing. Then, one thing that, I, that, that, that well, I think the psalm says there, cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. 
too often we can, we can pick up a scripture, and often when we're going into the detail, before we go into the detail, we don't understand what the basic message is. So before I, I, I get into the detail of the passage, and we will practice some examples of this, I try and ask myself very simply, what's simply being said here? Because most times, believe it or not, even if you're reading about a white horse or a dragon, you know, blowing fire or whatever, you can actually work out something simple is being said. It may not be profound, but just stop and get the forest before you get to the trees. Because I can tell you, the trees are exciting. I love getting to the trees. But stop with the forest if you can. Understand. And then, possibly the one that I certainly love as a, as a, as a Bible student is the remember. Uh, Psalm 143, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. So the idea of listening for Bible echoes. He's talking to us about a lamb or about crowns or about a number, six. Where have I heard it before? What does it remind me of? This is this idea of that spiritual uh, work with spiritual. Help me to understand your insight, your truth uh, through remembering. And then I mentioned the point uh, earlier that all of that, ultimately, for me, at the end of my little 15 minutes, it's of value because it brings me to the point of worship. In some way, having understood in some better way what this passage was saying to me today as a spiritual principle, I, I feel the very presence of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you can leave the day with something that you can apply. Something from what may have started off as a fairly arbitrary piece of scripture from the book of Revelation that has come out of it a, a principle, a spiritual truth that you can go out for the day and say, you know what, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to change some behavior. I'm going to change some thinking as a result of that insight. I called it the you are the man uh, syndrome. And, and really, that is the, the process I go through. And, and all of that leads to uh, uh, spiritual insights, and I keep those in a journal and as a result of that journal, I'm here talking to you about meditations on Revelation, and we'll leave it there for today.